hoping my computer survives on this stand for the, for the sermon today so that I can use my notes here. Fortunately, I've managed to get it up on my computer. I'm kind of what you'd call a tech guy, so uh, I never had a worry. <laughs> uh, I want to say something real quick before we get started. Uh, some very special people to me are here today, uh, and uh, uh, some of you have met them before, I think, but uh, some of you haven't, and that's uh, Mark and Carolyn Elliott from Louisiana. Uh, they're like family to me, and uh, I think they're at the back. I'm blinded by the light here. I can't, can't yeah, there they are. Uh, and, and Wendy uh, is with them, their daughter Wendy, and, and her husband here with them. Today. And uh, just so thankful for them. And if you get a chance, if you want to know people who have known me since I was a little kid and uh, can tell you all about me probably in ways that I don't even remember, uh, you can talk to them. They're just wonderful people and so special to me to have them here uh, with us today. Uh, Terry uh, jumped ahead of us in his uh, talk today. We're actually not talking about the death of, uh, or, or the, the sacrifice of Isaac this week. That's next week. Today's the birth of Isaac. But hey, it was the same kid, and uh, so I think, I think the prayer still counted, and it was still good, so uh, let's, let's don't hold it against him. Uh, so today, actually, we're talking about childbirth. Childbirth is always an exciting thing. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Olivia and I are expecting our fourth child soon. She's starting to show a little bit, so... Um, I don't think we can keep it a secret anymore. Uh, we were driving to, to Oklahoma. Olivia had a class in Oklahoma this week, and so I drove her up there, and we drove past this place that said something like pregnancy test. And Olivia said, I ought to stop in there and ask them to give me a pregnancy test. <laughs> Some things are, are rather obvious. However, I have a rule that I'm a legalist about this. I never ask a woman if she's pregnant. Never. Because you can't get that back once it's done if you're wrong. So for me, I, I think it's in the Bible somewhere. Never ask a woman she's pregnant. For me, I know it is. It, I live by it. It's like my rules are love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. Right under that is never ask a woman if she's pregnant. That's, that's what I live by right there. <laughs> for those of you who have had children, uh, you know what a joy it is to anticipate and to welcome a child. And let me just say before I go any further that some of you I know have have struggled with this. Some of you have not had children like you would have wanted to, and uh, some of you may even right now be waiting for God in that way. I just want to say I'm sorry for, for your struggle, and I recognize that as a very, very painful thing. And sometimes when uh, people are wanting to be pregnant, uh, it seems like everybody around you is getting pregnant. Um, uh, this uh, writer that Olivia writes, uh, named Shauna, ne Olivia likes, her name is Shauna Nequist, and uh, she wrote about this once, and, and we tell people this when they're waiting to, for a child, that, that she said, every, when I was trying to get pregnant, it seemed like everybody's getting pregnant. And, she, and in the middle of her sentence, she, she stops and says, that phone over there is probably pregnant. <laughs> so we, we know the frustration. Olivia and I actually have been there waiting for a child. We tried to adopt our second child, and that fell through. We were going to uh, adopt from Rwanda, and it didn't work out. So that was a... a Wait, and then we wanted to be pregnant with for for a second child, and it seemed like we waited forever. And the day we found out that um, Olivia was pregnant with Avery, it happened to be my birthday, and she wrote me a card. I, I didn't know about it at that point, and it said, "My dear," I have it basically memorized. It's it's hanging on Avery's uh, little uh, 
poster board that I have in my office. It says, my dearest 33-year-old husband, the Lord has given us a child for your 33rd birthday. Happy birthday, father of two. We are also blessed to have you. And that was one of the best days of my life. I mean, because it's my birthday first. But then, <laughs> second, because added to that, um, I found out that we were having little Avery, who's been such a treasure to us. Uh, man, it's such a, such a great thing to welcome a child into your family. And let me just say this. This is not my sermon today, but I just want to say this to you. Free of charge today, side note, uh, one of the reasons we get so frustrated in parenting is we forget what a gift it is to have children. And one of the reasons we do a poor job parenting is we forget that we prayed for these kids. And we asked God to give them to us, and we asked that they would be healthy, and we, we longed for these children, and then they came to us and they're such treasures, and somewhere along the way, we lose sight of that, and our treasures become our trials sometimes. And we wake up in the morning, what do I do with these kids? How do I take care of these kids? You know? and, and it's understandable, life happens that way, but I just want to remind you, those of us who are present today, parents today, as I remind myself, that, wow, what a gift we have in children. And uh, what an honor it is that the Lord trusts us with these children they aren't always at this age I'm, I mean my jokes hit home so well with those girls it's above Olivia's head she rolls her eyes but my girls I know maybe they'll, they'll grow out of it one day but this is just the, the delight we have thank God for the children he gives us we wait with such anticipation sometimes with anxiety Abraham and Sarah were waiting, but they had an added anxiety. They, God came to them. Abraham was 75 years old, and, uh, and God tells him, get up and leave your homeland. And then he promises him to make a great nation of him. And kings are going to come from his, from his descendants, and yet they don't have a kid. They need a kid for that to happen. And so they're waiting, and it's not happening. That's the story that we step into today. Let me just remind you of some of the things that uh, Josh covered Last week, the, the promises that were given to Abraham, you have three big promises that come to Abraham in chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 17. We're going to pick up in chapter 17 today. Chapter 12 is the promise that all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. And God tells Abraham, get up, leave your family, leave your friends. If it were today, leave your church family, leave the place where you've made money, and go. And I will make you a great nation. And then uh, there's the, the promise in uh, chapter 15, should say 1 through 6, not 16. Abraham's descendants will be as many as the stars of the heavens. That's what God comes to him and, and says to him, takes him outside, shows him the stars. It says, if you can count those, you can count your descendants. So today we, we get to chapter 17. The third promise that Josh was supposed to cover last week, but he needed more time to make jokes about me. So he didn't get to it. So here we are. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Let me just stop right there. 
and, and we're going to talk for a second about this 99 years old thing. Remember, he's 75 years old when the promise first comes to him. And he says, get up and go. Man, aren't the promises great? We love the promises. And we get excited to hear the promises. But then comes Monday morning. And it's the same old job. Then comes Monday night. And I've got the same marital problems. Then comes Tuesday morning. And you've got the same coworker problems. Whatever it is that go on and on and on. And we, we lose sight of the promises. The promises no longer carry their force with us. Well, Abraham had the promise, but then it was year one. Year two. Year three. Year nine. He left everything. They sold out to the promise. And you know there had to have been times when Abraham turned to Sarah and said, Was I dumb? Was this unwise? Did I really hear God's voice? Could I have made this up somehow, invented this in my head? There had to have been times when he questioned whether or not he was on the right path at all. Because the promises are great, but the promises usually don't come with a clarified timetable. For us to say, okay, this is when this will happen. I'll drive over and pick that up. <laughs> this is the way God works. Over and over and over in human history, the promise comes, but he gets to decide when it comes. And then we are left waiting. So many times in life, we are left clinging to the promises. Now, I hate to tell you this. If you're a new Christian and nobody's told you this, I hate to inform you of this, but if, if you think that your life, your Christian life, is supposed to be one long victory lap, you're in for so much disappointment. Because much of our lives are spent waiting on God. In fact, waiting and trusting are pretty much two sides of the same coin in Scripture. We trust God and we wait for God. In fact, I think we, we need a new emphasis on waiting on God in our teaching, in our Christian thinking, in our theologies. We need to put that alongside faith. Because we think of faith as sometimes, in, in some circles, faith is like, oh yeah, I believe it, woohoo, let's have a party. But wait, <laughs> well no, let's not talk about wait. Like, you don't ever see wait Baptist church. <laughs> you know? Or whatever denomination you want to be. You have faith churches. People don't want to wait. They, they go together in Scripture. Because trusting God means waiting on God. So much of my life has been clinging to promises. I'd like to tell you that I have sort of just walked on the clouds through the air. I've been so much of a spiritual giant that things just don't touch me. But that's not been my life. Much of my life, you know, we talk about standing on the promises. I think much of my life has been sprawling on the promises. <laughs> just kind of hanging on. And then sometimes I can stand. And uh, by God's grace, I'm getting better at standing. <laughs> but I don't, I don't have a, a lot of uh, uh, ego in that regard <laughs> to tell you that I, I'm a guy who's just stood on the promises so much. I've just clinged. 
I clung to God, clung to the promises for, for much of my life. And that is simply what we're called to do sometimes. And in that, we learn to rejoice, actually. It's, it's the irony in, in things. But we actually learn to, as, as the Apostle Paul said, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But it's as we cling to God, as we cling to the promises, and we learn to trust Him that we learn to, to rejoice. And so instead of, instead of standing on the promises, I'm not against the song, Standing on the Promises, okay? There's good things about that. But, but I, I resonate more with the song, Learning to Lean. Have you heard that one? Learning to lean on Jesus. That's my life. That's what resonates with me. Finding more power than I'd ever dreamed, but I'm learning to lean on Jesus. That's the way I'm going to go into heaven, I think. Not walking upright with a strut. Leaning over on Jesus. That's what faith calls us out to do. We don't trust our faithfulness. Our faithfulness is important, but we don't put our trust in our faithfulness. We don't trust our prayers. People make big mistakes in this regard sometimes. Now they pray, and their prayers aren't answered, and they're so angry at God because they thought it was a formula. They thought it was a transaction somehow. They thought they could speak it and make it happen. God's not like that. You can't manipulate God. God is free. I used to go to church with a guy who had strong charismatic leanings, and I love this guy. But he, he got angry at times because his family was sick. And he thought he could claim the promise. He thought he could speak it and it would go away. And he was so frustrated in his faith. And what I want to say to people like that is, yes, you may have faith to heal. And that's great. We believe in healing here. And we pray powerfully for that. You may have faith to heal or be healed. But do you have faith to be faithful? Do you have faith to be obedient when God doesn't heal? See, that's the kind of faith Abraham had to have. He had to have the faith that would, would step out on the mountaintops when he needed to. He also had the, had the faith that just would stay with God over the years when he didn't see the answers. This is what biblical faith is. It's not a long victory march where we're triumphalistic looking down at all the people with their little faith who don't have the faith that we do to walk on the clouds. Faith is where we cling to God. And our faith is in such a great God that we rejoice as we cling. And we wait to see what he does, not what we do through our manipulations of him. He will not be manipulated by us. So we might as well get used to that. There's a song I like, an uh, old hymn that uh, we've sung to our girls for years. Um, My faith looks up to thee. Thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Uh, one verse says, uh, uh, May thy rich grace impart strength to my fainting heart, my zeal inspire. As thou hast died for me, so may my love to thee, pure, warm, and changeless, be a living fire. See, that's the kind of faith I want, the faith that inspires my zeal. But there's a, I think it's the next verse that says, While life's dark maze I tread, and griefs around me spread. Be thou my guide. Wipe sorrow's tears away. Bid darkness turn to day. But here's the kicker. Nor let me ever stray from thee aside. That's the kind of faith I want. The faith that says, 
even when the griefs around me spread, I'm not going to stray from your side. And let my zeal be inspired as you have died for me, so let my love to thee be pure and warm and changeless. But I don't control the circumstances. I cling to the promises, knowing that God will be faithful to his promises. In this text, you see that our God is a covenant-making God. Josh talked about this last week. Here you get the promise. I'm not even going to read it all uh, right now for time's sake, but God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of the nations. From you, nations and kings are going to come. I'm going to establish my covenant with you. It's going to be an everlasting covenant. I will be God to you. We don't appreciate this language anymore because we've come to assume that God's supposed to make covenants. Of course you make a covenant, God. Why would you not make a covenant with me? <laughs> Why would you not do that? But you see, this is amazing that there's the God of heaven and earth who comes and chooses this pagan. We don't get any other information about him. Uh, Abraham's just, a, I guess, an ordinary pagan. God chooses him and says, I want to be in covenant with you. This is a terrible illustration, but it's the one that came to me. I don't know of a, a, a way to illustrate this without dumbing it down so far. But imagine that you are an unpopular kid at high school and nobody really likes you. You sit off on the table by yourself, whatever. And the prettiest, most popular girl in the school walks over to your table one day and says, hey, I would like for you to be my boyfriend. And I will make you popular just like I am. Everybody's going to love you. I'll be a great girlfriend to you. And one day we'll get married and it'll be a great life. And all I want you to do is be a faithful boyfriend to me. Now, imagine that happening. I'm, I, I, I told you, I'm sorry, it, it's, it's terribly dumbed down. Uh, but but uh, you can at least hear that and think, wow, that would be something, wouldn't it? That would be an amazing offer if that happened to this high school kid. Right? Something similar, although on a much greater scale, comes with God it happens with God when he comes to us and says, I want to be in covenant with you. I mean, the, the, probably the most real covenant we're familiar with today is marriage. That's, you know, I wear a ring symbolizing the covenant between me and Olivia. We are bound together. God comes to us not because he has to, not because there's something in me that demands it, that, that it earns it or anything. He comes to me and says, I want to be in covenant with you. I will, I will be your God. This is an amazing offer that he brings us in on. An amazing life he brings us in on through this offer. Then we get to verse 15 here, skipping down. We talk about Sarah. As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Change her name, the meaning doesn't change. It's princess. But somehow it's significant. God changes their names. And we can say more about that, but I'm going to move on for now. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. This is what God does when he comes into covenant with us. He doesn't come because he needs us in some way. He comes to bless us. Then Abraham, Abraham fell on his face. Again, he's in a posture of worship and laughed. Notice that term, laughed. Now, it's not clear to me why Abraham laughs here. Some people think that he laughs because he's just so skeptical. But I'm a little bit 
uh, skeptical of that view because he's falling on his face in worship at the same time. For whatever reason, he laughs. And we're going to say more about that in just a minute. And he said to himself, shall a, child, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael. Remember Josh talked about Ishmael last week? Uh, this was their plan. Abraham and Sarah had worked it out. And he says, oh, that Ishmael might, might live before you. I think Abraham loved Ishmael. And he thought his plan might work. But God said, that's not my plan. No, your wife Sarah is going to have a son. His name will be Isaac. Anybody know what the name Isaac means? If you're not a preacher, you can shout it out. Laughter, yeah. Abraham laughed, and we're going to see more laughter coming in this text. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. Side note, just because God didn't elect someone didn't mean God didn't love that person. It's important to know that when you talk about the biblical doctrine of election. God elected people for his purposes and brought them into a special covenant with him. But he loved Ishmael. He saw Ishmael. And he cared about Ishmael, just like he cared about Hagar, like we talked about last week. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you, at this time next year, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins. Youch. Um, not, what, not what Abraham was planning for his 99th birthday. Uh, that very day, as God had said to him, uh, Abraham was 99 years old when, when he was circumcised. Now, now listen, circumcision... Uh, earlier in the, in the text, uh, uh, God had commanded circumcision as the covenant sign. Man, y'all have no idea how much material I have to cut out to preach this sermon in a timely way. Uh, and to preach these sermons on Genesis in a timely way. We could talk for a while about this. Some people get the idea sometimes that God in the Old Testament was kind of a legalistic, ritualistic God. But then he sort of figured it out better in the New Testament and gave us a spiritual religion. <laughs> and I want you to know that's just false. Okay, uh, Paul talks about, oh, circumcision of the heart in Romans chapter 2, mattering. That's exactly right. You know where that phrase comes from? The Old Testament. God always cared about circumcision of the heart. But there's no fundamental dichotomy between physical actions and internal responses. They both matter. And today, God still wants to mark out his covenant people. Do you know that? And he wants to mark them out physically. That's baptism. We are marked out by the waters of baptism today as God's covenant people. And there's a clear line drawn between these things in the New Testament. Look at Colossians 2, for example. It really matters what we do with our bodies. And it really matters that we act in a way, physically, outwardly, that expresses the inward realities. Like I said, we could talk more about that. Okay, get to chapter 18. They said to him, where is Sarah your wife? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I've got to give you this a little bit of background here. Three Guys show up to Abraham, all right, if you remember this story. And Abraham knows there's something really special about these guys. And what it turns out to be is that one of them is actually the Lord, taking on a physical form, perhaps with two angels with him at, the, at that time. Okay, and these are the guys. Abraham's showing great deference to them, bringing them into his, his home, feeding them. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now he's getting... 
the exact time frame on when this is to happen. And Sarah was listening at the tent of the door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied that she laughed and said, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So Sarah's laughter, she seems to feel kind of guilty about it, right? So she must have been laughing a laugh of skepticism. I mean, you can't help but wonder if Sarah was saying, you know, I've been down this road before, emotionally. Yeah, 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 when we packed our bags in Haran and headed out, it's supposed to be great things. And here we are, 25 years later, no, <laughs> I'm not buying this stuff anymore. Right? And we can, we can relate to that disappointment. We can think, why not, God? Why, why not do it already? Where have you been? This is Sarah's laugh, and she doesn't really want the Lord to know about it. <laughs> because she knows it's skeptical. She knows it's bitter. Her hopes have been crushed time and time again. But what Sarah has to remember in that time is that she serves the Lord who is mighty to save. She serves the Lord for whom nothing is impossible. And over and over again in Scripture, this is proven. It is the claim of faith we make when we can't see clearly. We say, is anything too hard for the Lord? No, it's not. When we're doubting and struggling, no, it's not too hard for the Lord. Where God has promised, we never despair because nothing's too hard for the Lord. Skip ahead to chapter 21, and we get finally to the fulfillment. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me, not the bitter kind this time. The joyful kind. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who could have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Who would have ever dreamed that this could be true? This is a time of joy when God answers prayers. When God keeps his promises, when God says, yes, I'm the one who gives you every good thing. And here God is saying, I was faithful. I meant it when I said it. You can trust me. Here is an overflowing joy for you guys. You know that laughter is a great gift of God. Have you ever wondered why laughter even exists? It's God's gift to us to laugh. Laughter is like medicine, the proverb says. It, it, it can be edifying and helpful. 
This is why we let Josh preach here sometimes. I know some of you have been wondering. We laugh a lot of times when things are surprising or ironic. They catch us off guard when things are unexpected. You know, I actually, it's, it's hard even to define sometimes what, what exactly laughter is or what exactly is the cause of laughter. But, but we recognize it. We recognize things that are funny and, and we laugh and that's God's gift to us to surprise us with joy. And may I say to you in that regard that God is funny. Because he loves to surprise us with joy. If you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, his, his autobiography is called Surprised by Joy. He was an atheist resisting God for so long. And suddenly he was caught off guard that God wanted to bless him. To give him joy. That's what laughter does. Many times it wells up inside us in the face of great joy, unexpected, surprising blessings. And when you really realize how much God wants to bless us, now please hear me on this. God's hilarious. God is absurd. That's the truth about God. We don't hear these things. We, we, we've got, they're in the scriptures. We just have blinders on. We have, we have earplugs in where we can't hear these things that are put there. And, and uh, the scripture that Brandon read so well for us today, I've got the New Living Translation here. Uh, hear this again. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's your future. And we get a taste of it in the present. And that prepares us to walk into that future. Can I say to you that I don't care how smart you are or how creative you are, what an imaginative person you are, you've not yet imagined how good it's going to be. You've never heard anybody talk about it. All we can kind of do is gesture towards it. With our words. Say something like that out there. Nobody's ever been able to get it. No prophet ever got it. No apostle ever got it. Nobody's ever seen how great it is. What God has prepared for those who love him. If you've ever seen the, the movie uh, uh, Pride and Prejudice. You may have read the book. But you know I just watched the movie. And uh, uh, at one point in this movie. This, this girl who's just a poor country girl. The this other guy's fallen in love with her, and he's just, like, filthy rich. And she has no clue about this. Uh, and she shows up. I don't remember the details of how she gets there, but she shows up at this guy's, one of his residences. And as she pulls up, I think she's in a boat or something, she pulls up, and this is sprawling mansion. And it's before they've gotten together, but she looks at it. She's just staring, and she just, she just goes, 
like that. It's, it's really a sweet moment. Just like this, this chuckle comes to her. Like, oh, <laughs> this is what that guy who was trying to get me, this is what he lives in. I think some kind of similar expression would happen with all of us if we ever could grasp what God has prepared for us. <laughs> this kind of just laughter would come out. <laughs> really? Really, you've got that prepared for us? This is what God has for us. He loves us, and he wants to bless us, and he's got all the riches in the world to bless us with. And I don't mean material riches. I just mean general riches, the, the riches of life and joy. Whatever else is involved. I haven't imagined it. <laughs> Let me close with this uh, scripture in um, Ephesians 2. We, we, it's the by grace through faith scripture that we love, but um, as I have dwelled on this scripture, it's other parts of it that stand out to me. Um, got, Paul is talking about how we're trapped in sin, but God, who is rich in mercy, okay, stay with the scripture as we close, but God, who is rich in mercy, according to his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, made us alive together with Christ. That's what's happened already. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. We're already doing That's what we're doing today. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. So that, this is the future now, so that in the coming ages he might show forth, he might demonstrate. Now get this, okay? He might demonstrate the surpassing riches or the overflowing riches of his grace. The, the kind of just, oh, it's just out there. It's beyond what we think of. Overflowing, surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now you get that? God has raised us up now and seated us with Christ now so that in the coming ages... He can show everybody the riches of his grace, the abundance of his grace. He can show everybody by being kind to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God. That's, that's our passage. That's the passage about grace through faith. God wants to bowl us over with his grace and kindness. This is what Abraham and Sarah ran into with Isaac. The God who just gives laughter. The God who surprises us with joy. Let's pray. Our dear Father, thank you that you are God. And that we are not. And that you can be trusted. For those in here right now who feel the pointed end of the pain of waiting, would you renew their hope? And teach us to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, to anticipate the great love that you will pour out on us as you show your unfathomable grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.